Post-injury, I have recently acquired a paragolfer, which is a stand-up adaptive golf unit that allows paraplegics, amputees, anybody dealing with mobility issues to stand up unassisted, swing the golf club. This to me has opened up huge doors, not just for me, but for other adaptive athletes as well. This paragolfer and the ability to open up the adaptive golf world in Canada has been thrilling. I was able to go to the first ever international wheelchair golf open championship in Mallorca, Spain. Traveling is far none the most exciting thing to do in a wheelchair. It is new, it is exciting, it is turbulent, it is so much fun, and the fact that I got to go to Spain, which is a country I've never visited, with 42 other wheelchair users and adaptive golfers, and experience the first golf tournament of its kind, I consider myself very, very fortunate for that. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, entrepreneurs, innovators, and disruptors who are shaping the future of golf. My name is Colin Weston. I'm your host. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Tanel Bolt. And Tanel has a very unique story to tell and a very impactful story to tell. I'm not going to say too much. I'm not even going to do a proper introduction here, Tanel. You're sitting right across from me today. This is great. We're not doing this remotely. We are doing this face-to-face, so this is great. All I'm going to say here is that Tanel is an adaptive athlete, a nature lover, an entrepreneur, and a passionate golf ambassador. So we'll start peeling off the layers of the onion here as we go. So that's all I'm going to say to start with. So with that, Tanel, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Colin. It's awesome to be here. Good stuff. Good stuff. So Let's start off. Let's go back to your childhood. Please tell us about your upbringing in Lethbridge, Alberta. For our American listeners, probably like, where the heck is Lethbridge? So maybe you need to kind of give them a, a Google Maps there so they understand that. And, and tell us about your life growing up as an athlete with sports and also, also with golf. So Colin, my life in Lethbridge, Alberta, which is directly over Montana, Life growing up in Lethbridge, my father was the assistant superintendent of the Lethbridge Country Club golf course, which allowed me, my brother, and my sister to have lifetime golf memberships. We may not have always used them appropriately. Being able to golf as a family in the evenings when everybody else was off of the golf course and using it as a fun place to get outside and have family time and experience nature. We always had a dog that needed tons of exercise. So it was always just a place that we were able to go and seek out to burn off energy and be together and all of the great feelings of family and community we found on the golf course. Wonderful. So moving forward from that, I also know this is even like five, six, seven years ago, I believe, from the reading I did up on you, that uh, you then started taking fitness very seriously. You actually got a personal trainer, and then you became a bodybuilder and a fitness model and actually were competitive. As an athlete, you've been an elite athlete in many different realms, including that. Is that true? Elite, sure. That (laughs) that might be a boastful statement on my behalf. (laughs) But uh, no, 
The fitness for me started when I was in high school, when my father explained to me that I was wearing a back brace for scoliosis and that if I did not get into the gym or start working on my trunk stability and core control, that I would hurt much more after two years of wearing a back brace for 23 and a half hours a day than I ever did before I got strapped into the thing. So I started going to the gym as the statistician for the football team of my high school with the football guys when I was 16 years old. And that was the beginning of my love for fitness and the use of fitness to battle anxiety and stress. And it was always a place that I went to find solace when things were getting out of hand in life. So fitness meant for me that I was able to focus on every other modality in life. And I did get to the level where I was competing. Uh, I had my first fitness competition in May 2014. And it was August 2014 that I sustained my spinal cord injury. Right. And that's where we want to go go to next. So it sounds like obviously with bodybuilding and that level of fitness, that's primarily an indoor endeavor, but you have a great passionate love for the outdoors, which still remains today. And in fact, it's probably taken off even more in the last few years. So let's move forward then to a hot summer afternoon on Vancouver Island in August of 2014 and a 60-foot bridge. So can you please tell us that story? Oh, my love for the outdoors has grown exponentially since my injury. I do believe that's where a lot of the mental healing comes in after a catastrophic injury like a spinal cord injury. That happened in Port Renfrew on Vancouver Island. And I was out camping with friends playing with the boys. It was a 60-foot bridge in the middle of nowhere, and we were cooling off one o'clock in the afternoon, 31 degrees Celsius, which is 100 degrees Fahrenheit, (laughs) and I sustained my injury from a compression fracture. I never touched the bottom. I landed on debris, possibly floating down the river, feet first, nothing extraordinary, just a camping accident. Right. And so our listeners know, they think, well, what the heck are you doing jumping off a 60-foot bridge? As an outdoor athlete, you've done that thing many times, even as a kid growing up in Lethbridge, our previous conversations, you've jumped off of bridges a lot and and doing that with a lot of safety precautions in place. So it's not like you were being reckless or you've never done this before. You you knew what you were doing and you've done this before. Yeah, there there's never been an injury on that bridge in the 50 years that it's been there. Yeah. So... The driftwood that I maybe perhaps landed on or pine cone from 60 feet could have had catastrophic effects like it did. So you are now wheelchair bound and this is basically from the kind of the upper torso from... From my chest down. From your chest down. Tell us about the experience, I guess, those first couple of weeks then, because I'm assuming you were emergency evacuated to Vancouver. Try to have us understand, because I can't relate to what that would be like at all. must have been a very dark time, very confusing time for you. Can you actually talk about those first couple of weeks and also then positively about the support and the people that really rallied around and helped inspire you to kind of keep you moving forward? So the first, thank you very much to the BC Air Ambulance for even attempting to come and air rescue me from where I was at. The helicopter was able to land right in the riverbank and airlift me directly to Vancouver, saving me a over three-hour ambulance ride back to Victoria where I knew there was not going to be anybody 
available to help me to the capacity that I needed. I arrived at Vancouver General Hospital. 15 minutes later, my personal trainer and one of my very good friends showed up to be there. I gave away all control of decisions to the gentleman that showed up because he's a pharmacist and able to understand the medical jargon behind what the doctors were seemingly yelling at me while I was in excruciating pain. That said, there was a fabulous surgeon who is part of the Rick Hansen Research Foundation. He's actually the CFO of the foundation, I believe. And he had me on the operating table seven and a half hours after I sustained my injury, which is unheard of, especially from the remote location that it happened. So my acute recovery in Vancouver General Hospital uh, in the step-down unit there, it was about day number three when Rick Hansen rolled through the door. And Rick Hansen is world-famous man in motion who has wheeled around the world. His injury he sustained in the early 80s. Also on Vancouver Island, he was fishing and was ejected out of the back of a truck. But he showed up there, shook my hand, gave me his book, and said, you call me if there's anything you need. So I knew that he had my back, which was gigantic. I didn't get into his biography until a year later when I could finally focus (laughs) on reading something uh, and discovered how incredibly successful and motivated and driven this man is. So I believe that him coming to the hospital room and seeing me surrounded by 12 of my family members and closest friends, I changed his perspective on spinal cord injuries a little bit that day as well. Without the support of my family and friends, their recovery, I couldn't imagine what recovery would be like without them. My mom moved into Vancouver from Lethbridge within hours of hearing about it. She did not leave my side, took a short-term leave of absence from work, and was there with me every single day. Uh, My sister is a neuro nurse as well, so counting my blessings, she slept beside my hospital bed for the first two weeks and explained to me every day what was going on and re-explained to me what drugs I was taking. And I had the best personal care out there from her. Wow. Wow. So obviously a lot of this came from within. And also you talked earlier about your dad as far as impressing on you the, the need to be physically active and to be resilient. So yeah, the support of your family sounds like it was just critically important for you to have that resilience to get out of that dark mental space that would have been very, very easy to fall into. But it sounds like your your previous life before the injury, as far as your training definitely allowed you, let me know if I'm off base here, but allowed you to actually then accelerate your recovery or having the mental tenacity to do that. So I, I heard your physiotherapist recommending exercising three times a week. What was your response to that suggestion? I flipped the three to six. No, more than six. I flipped the three to twice a day. It's what my body was used to. (laughs) Once a day isn't enough, especially when you're in acute injury that needs to find in the first two years your maximum amount of recovery. Me being in fitness before my injury, I just took everything that I had learned with muscle breakdown and muscle recovery and fitness and flip the scale to paralysis and paralysis recovery. I knew every single muscle in my body. I knew everything to do with diet to succeed to the maximum level. Nobody needed to teach me that I had a bicep or eat your greens. 
these are all things that so many people that go through a spinal cord injury, especially because a lot of them are later in their years, need to learn. So my recovery was exponentially faster than the majority of spinal cord injury victims, I guess you could call us. <laughs> um, and, and I do see through the, all the social media avenues that athletes are the fastest in recovery. Now you use the word victim there. I have a different term. I have a friend of mine. He gave this keynote talk and he's been twice through having cancer and he doesn't call it being a victim or a survivor. He calls it being a graduate. So in a way, perhaps you are a spinal injury graduate. And he even said, and I'm prepared. He goes, I have my bachelor's degree. Now I have my master's. And if it comes a third time, I'm willing to get my PhD. I'm willing to go there. So with you and seeing the positivity that you exude here, I think you're more of a graduate. I Hopefully you're comfortable with that term. I think as a spinal injury graduate rather than a victim. Is that, Are you okay with that? I'd absolutely be a spinal cord injury graduate. And I hope to God to never have my master's in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe it wasn't the best analogy no, it's to perfect. use. But, uh, but, uh, I also know people with numerous spinal cord injuries because we don't slow down. Yes. It just gets higher and higher. You told me before we started the recording here, what, what happened to you last night there? You may have uh, ended up on the ground, which happens every once in a while. Every now and then when somebody asks if you need help and you tell them no, you should have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was did an epic dismount out of a SUV cab last night coming into Vancouver. And after hours of traveling my spasticity gets a lot worse and my legs want to pull themselves in and underneath of me like a pretzel. And they did that just as I was transferring out of the cab onto the seat of my wheelchair. And I was slightly suspended on the running board (laughs) before going to the ground and fortunately was caught by the driver before I got there. Does not sound like an elegant dismount at all, but it sounds like almost stuck the landing though. Yeah, it was not graceful. No, doesn't sound like... (laughs) So, Tanel, since this is the Mod Golf Podcast, a lot of our listeners are thinking, this is a great story so far, but where's the golf component? So let's bring it back to golf, because you are active. That's how we actually met, through one of our sponsors, actually a great friend of both of ours, uh, Chris Jonathan, who spearheads British Columbia Golf, and had a chance to meet you, I guess, just before uh, Christmas, a couple of months ago. So tell us how golf has impacted your life post-injury, and what golf means to you now in your life. Post-injury, I have in the last year recently acquired a paragolfer, which is a stand-up adaptive golf unit that allows paraplegics, amputees, anybody dealing with mobility issues or plagued with them to stand up unassisted, swing the golf club. This to me has opened up huge doors, not just for me, but for other adaptive athletes as well. I gain great satisfaction in providing this piece of equipment to other people so that they can experience it as well. I'm very fortunate in my role as the founder of Rad Recreation Adapted Society to have access to numerous pieces of adaptive equipment across different modalities of sport. So this paragolfer and the ability to open up the adaptive golf world in Canada has been thrilling. I was able to go in November to the first ever International Wheelchair Golf Open Championship in Mallorca, Spain. Traveling is 
bar none the most exciting thing to do in a wheelchair. It is new. It is exciting. It is turbulent. It is so much fun. And the fact that I got to go to Spain, which is a country I've never visited with 42 other wheelchair users and adaptive golfers and experience the first golf tournament of its kind. I consider myself very, very fortunate for that. So tell us a little more about that tournament. So who organized that and how long was it? And how did you get over there? Obviously, there was a financial cost to that. How did that happen that you were able to make that happen and get on the plane and participate in that? So one of the original engineers of the paragolfer unit sponsored my going over to Spain to be involved in this golf tournament. They had covered me once I was there. I have some very committed sponsors on Vancouver Island through the city of Langford that helped me with the transportation of getting there. It would have been over a $3,000 Canadian trip if I was to start to pay for this myself, and I would have never been able to afford it. So the gentleman that put the tournament together is Christian Knockway, and he has power-based tech. Him and his family coordinated with another adaptive organization in Spain to make this happen. I've never had a more seamless adaptive trip on their end ever. The airlines getting there, a different story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us a little more, focusing on the golf, tell us about the actual tournament and your participation in that and the other athletes. I'm sure you actually met some new friends there. So tell us in a nutshell what that experience was like actually participating in the tournament itself. There are 42 athletes and we were, all of us are in wheelchairs. So that community alone across the globe is bar none. I've definitely met some new friends there, lifelong friends. There were three other female athletes that competed in this tournament. And this tournament was for athletes of all golf abilities. Some of them had been drop shipped paragolfers without a real golf lesson by any adaptive instructor ever. And they came and crushed rounds, 18 holes after 18 holes, trying their best, always wearing a smile on their face. And it's even inspirational to me to watch somebody struggle through 18 holes of golf and still at the end of the day be smiling. So can you describe to us, of course, we're on a podcast, so you have to paint pictures with your words here, uh, but I will include in the show notes, of course, pictures of the paragolfer unit and some videos and then some links that you provided for me already. Can you describe the unit for us and how you sit in that and how you manage to hit a golf ball and play around a golf and a paragolfer? So the paragolfer is a three-wheeled unit. The front two wheels are treaded and they're the driving wheels and the back wheel is a smooth wheel on a pivot and that's your steering mechanism. There is a seat on it so I transfer out of my wheelchair into the seat and there's straps that go across my feet because of spasticity to keep them on the footplate. There's one that comes across the front of my knees where that holds my legs in the appropriate position to prevent my knees from internally or externally rotating when I am in the standing position. And for an amputee, they can flip it around and put their stubs on it. Oh, okay. And then there is a seatbelt and a chest strap. So once you're all strapped into the unit, which may take a minute to adjust if it's your first time in the thing, then you are able to hit the up arrow, easy as that, 
and you start to have a scissor hydraulic mechanism underneath of you that jacks the chair up into the standing position. Right. Okay. And do you have an assistant accompanying you at all times or are you doing this on your own when you're on the golf course? Fully independently. Nice. Okay. And how long does it, by the time you pull up to your ball and the time you actually leave your ball, how long does it take from shot to shot? Oh, 15 seconds if you're up and and positioned properly in front of the ball. It is nice to have a caddy or somebody when you are doing a tournament like that to help you set the ball on the tee for tee shots. It just speeds up the rate of play. So when you have a team of three or four paragolfers all together, it is much slower than a team of four able-bodied golfers. But if you have one or two paragolfers out there as a group on the course, then the rate of play isn't affected at all. Okay. But if it's all four of you out there, roughly how long does it take for an average round? So there were some nuances that needed to be adjusted for this tournament because as a paragolfer, there are still people who believe in juniors, women's, men's tees. Well, tee colors are meant for your handicap, not your gender. (laughs) So when you're a pro, you golf from the blacks. When you're a beginner, you golf from the forward tees. And then you set yourself up in the middle accordingly. So when we were all golfing based on men's and women's tee boxes, then it was hard to finish a round of 18 throughout the day. When we bumped all the tees forward, and now every single golfer is golfing from the junior tees or even one step further ahead based on your beginner level, we finished a round in six hours. Nice. Nice. So let's say maybe 15, 20% longer than a traditional round. Exactly. Not not bad at all. Uh, So I wanted to ask you, so if your ball ends up in a sand trap, I'm assuming obviously physically you can't, that doesn't work. So you actually get relief. You actually pull the ball out of a sand trap or what do you do when you end up in a trap? You drive the paragolfer into the trap. Nice. Yeah. If you do find that there is not enough allowance behind the ball for the four feet paragolfer behind you, we do play with para rules. So you can adjust the ball by club length. There's a certain guideline for all of those club lengths out of a sand trap. If you are uncomfortable going in the sand trap, you can take it out. You will get a stroke against you, but then you set the ball up where you can hit it from the entry point one club length away from the edge of the trap. So it's it's safe and you're comfortable to do so. Got it. Okay. So on the greens, I'm assuming because of the width of the tires, are, are golf courses comfortable with you driving a paragolfer on a green? To, 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 I'm assuming you, you putt out and finish every single hole and get that nice sound of the ball actually going in the hole there. So it's no problem driving a paragolfer on a green? Absolutely. My father was the first phone call I made when I discovered that the paragolfer was available. And I said, Dad, is this allowed on the greens? Because I'm not going to go and find it or try it if you tell me no. Mm -hmm. I worked on the golf course when I was 16 years old. I was the one that had to come and fix the greens if they were wrecked. That's the last thing I want to do. And anybody that I've approached with the paragolfer to use it on their course... I talk to the general manager, I'll talk to the pro, and I insist on talking to the superintendent. Yes. And you found, I'm assuming it's the same in the States, just like with the Canada, I'm assuming it's kind of a one course at a time, onboarding and enlightening them, educating them as far as this isn't going to ruin <laughs> ruin their golf course and ruin their greens. No, um, this unit isn't any heavier or bigger than a greens mower. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
So I have to ask you, what is your favorite aspect of your golf game? The favorite aspect of my golf game? What do you enjoy the most? Fresh air. Fresh air. (laughs) (laughs) I love being outside. It's so nice to give yourself time and schedule time to be outside for a round of golf. It's not a quick hour, you know, you're out there for three and a half hours. And that's the number one key to health and wellness is being outside and playing. So my favorite aspect of golf is the camaraderie and being active outside. That's a great answer rather than my driver or my seven iron. That I like that answer better. If you can't play golf with four clubs, you need more lessons. Okay, maybe that's my problem. I'm using more than four. <laughs> problem solved. Thanks for that tip. <laughs> <laughs> could you share uh, just even one shot if you could remember as a pair of golfer that sticks in your mind? I don't know whether it's a chip off the green, anything. What one shot that you can tell us that really uh, puts a smile on your face that you can remember? The first shot of the Mallorca International Wheelchair Golf Open Championship off the tee in front of everybody. Cameras were on. People are watching. I hit the ball, nailed it with the driver, and everybody clapped as they do in golf that you hear on TV. And it was so perfect. Amazing. Love that. Love that. Hey, okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here as we're getting close to finishing up here because I know you have some other things you got to run in and do today. You did talk about the Rad Recreation Adapted Society, which you are the founder of. So tell us a bit about that. So in short, the Rad Society is my brainchild after my spinal cord injury where I fell into, as many athletes do after sustaining catastrophic injuries, a large gap in whatever system you're involved with. There's not the support for the too ably disabled. So to find adaptive equipment, outdoor sport and recreation equipment was very hard and still is very hard. So with the Rad Society, I am not only raising awareness of outdoor sport and recreation for people living with mobility issues, but I am building and hoping to provide all of BC and would love to be providing other countries as well with rental adaptive outdoor sport and recreation equipment. So you can show up, have six different options of bikes and skis and camper trailers and side-by-sides and anything you could imagine to get outside and do adapted and available for you. Otherwise, There are athletes out there who spend tens of thousands of dollars on equipment that they've never seen, touched, felt, used, experimented with. So that's my goal with RAD is to provide accessibility outdoors for people who can't afford it and provide a platform for you to build your own inventory of your own adaptive equipment based on your own knowledge. Uh, I love this. And not only in Canada, but also in the States is you touched on in an earlier conversation, it's not just people with spinal cord injuries. Of course, this is all mobility issues you talked about, whether it's stroke victims, people in the States, whether they're veterans in the VA and across the spectrum. And I've had conversations on the podcast before. I know you've listened to some of these, the isolation and the loneliness. So the psychological effect or not just the physical effect of their injuries is something that's really, really difficult to deal with. And it seems to me like what you're doing here is really helping facilitate getting people out, getting a sense of community and becoming part of something that's bigger than themselves. 
Absolutely. And being able to continue a life with your family and your friends Mm -hmm. that you feel like you've lost. There's a lot of organizations out there that support you if you need the support while you're out there. But there are few organizations that will allow you to take the equipment and go and try it on your own terms. So right now, this is focusing on on British Columbia. We have a lot of listeners in in the province of British Columbia. Yes, BC focused. So let's actually give you a chance, a little bit of a pitch since we're talking about the RAD Recreation Adaptive Society right now. I will include in the show notes, of course, uh, a link to your website and the opportunity for people to donate to this fabulous cause. But perhaps you can tell us the, the website and the URL where people can find you there. So it's rad, R-A-D, society.ca, and rad is a fully registered charity across Canada, so I am a tax deduction. (laughs) (laughs) And this equipment is not cheap. I sit in a $10,000 wheelchair. I have a $17,000 sit-ski. My surfboard is $2,500 American dollars, and the cost of these things doesn't go down. A used sit-ski is $2,500. The mountain bikes are anywhere from six dollars to $26,000. And the cost of a paragolfer is? $35,000. $35,000. You told me this story last time we met. This shows your entrepreneurial tenacity and grit. How did you go about acquiring your paragolfer? After 13 months of trying very diligently within British Columbia to solidify a demo unit of the paragolfer for use and exposure at seven different golf tournaments across British Columbia and into Alberta, I came up with nothing. So I drove myself to Vista, California, knocked on the engineer's door opened up his garage, and with only slightly less than half of a deposit for the piece of equipment, Paragolfer and Anthony Netto allowed me to, on goodwill, put it in a U-Haul trailer and bring it home to Canada. And so people understand, that don't know the distance from Vancouver to that part of California, how many hours each way was that? Well, Vancouver to Southern California is about 25 hours. And from the interior of BC, where I'm living, to Southern California is divided up about two days. Yeah, wow. And you are also now the, if I get this right, the Western Canadian representative and distributor for Paragolfer. Is that right? Yes, Colin. Yes. So if anyone is interested in learning more about Paragolfer, how can they contact you? And of course, I'll include this in the show notes, but why don't you tell us how they can contact you to learn more about Paragolfer? So to learn more about the Paragolfer, you can find me on my website, radsociety.ca, my cell phone number, my address, and everything you need to seek me out is listed there. Very nice. Good stuff. Okay. So I heard you say this one quote that you need to focus on the art of slowing down. After talking to you, do you really believe in that? You seem to be speeding up rather than slowing down. Or is this a a constant tension from within that you think you need to slow down, but you're not? So uh, how's that working out for you? I've been told by counselors that I need to (laughs) slow down. But in my life, everything about the wheelchair is slow. So... I am not very good at it, if you are right, if anything in my life has gotten 
exponentially quicker, especially in the last 12 months with the successes of the charity and potential partnerships coming down the pipe. Just accessibility and universal design is the number one focus right now, it seems to be in Canada, where we are ages behind some of the other countries in the world in providing a country that is feasible for everybody to live in. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, you understand the power of partnerships. And I understand that in partnership with Red, you're involved with an app called Keener. Can you tell us a bit about that as we finish up here? So Keener is an outdoor adventure app currently based out of Squamish, Whistler, Vancouver, Victoria, and Western Canada. And we are in the very early stages of working together to put a keen to be rad motion in play. This will allow adaptive athletes to connect to disconnect where you can travel and know that there's a safe place, safe trails, accessible accommodations, where you can find rental equipment, where you can get your own equipment fixed, and who else is out there, a like-minded adventurous, doing these sports. And this will be relaunching in Canada and down into the U.S. this year. Connect to disconnect. I love it. It's really good stuff. So as we finish up, last question here. So 2019 and beyond for you personally, not only in sports, but let's also focus on, on golf. What are your involvements for the, the future as far as you with golf? Me with golf, I hope to see British Columbia be the spearheader across Canada to provide adaptive golf at the majority of the golf courses across BC especially on the West Coast. We can golf 12 months of the year out here. And the golfers are the aging population that need access to this equipment. And these golf courses need to be redesigned for accessibility. This is also another thing that I have my fingers in is accessibility consulting. With my background in interior design, building, and construction, I've taken it upon myself to push businesses to change and to grow. Okay, thanks for sharing that with us, Tanel. So to finish up here, I just want to thank you for spending the time today on the Mod Golf Podcast. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. And I've got a feeling we're going to start hanging out a little bit more. The more you're in Vancouver here and at some of these golf-related events and other sport-related events. So I'm so glad I've got introduced to you. And I hope uh, we become really good friends in the next couple of years and beyond because I really love what you're doing here, Tanel. So thanks. Thank you, Colin. Hey, our next our next endeavor together is Top Golf. That is true. That is true. We're going to get you out there and we're going to make that happen. So, hey, Tanel Bolt, who is the founder of the Rad Recreation Adapted Society, along with all the other awesome things that you do and obviously representative and distributor of Paragolfer. Thanks for being on the Mod Golf Podcast today. This has been, for me, it's it's not only been an education, but it's been inspirational. And I love what you're doing. I know it can't be easy. A lot of the times it probably is not, even though you keep a very big smile on your face at all times. I'm sure you've got to have ups and downs that I can't even imagine. But I just want to, again, just thank you for doing what you're doing and putting yourself out there and for sharing your story with us today. Thanks for taking the time to listen. It is my pleasure. All right, you take care. Cheers. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with paraplegic athlete, golfer, and entrepreneur, Tanel Bolt, about the challenges she has faced and the opportunities she now embraces since her life-altering extreme sports injury four years ago. 
I'd love to hear what you found interesting and useful in this episode. So please share your thoughts by emailing me at colin at modgolfpodcast.com and I promise to get back to you. If you'd like to learn more about Tanel, go to our episode show page where we've included links and photos to provide you with additional content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Nextlinks for helping make the Mod Golf Podcast happen. And I also want to send a big welcome to our new sponsor partner, Golf Genius Software, whose CEO Mike Zisman was my guest a few episodes ago. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.